Hey everybody, this is Keith with Nest Realty and you're listening to Sweat the Details. We would love your feedback. If you've got a response, a question, or any comments at all, please take a moment, make a voice memo on your phone and email it to sweatthedetails at nestrealty.com. Thanks, and we look forward to hearing from you. And if you're inclined, we'd welcome a review wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is uh, Jonathan. Welcome to Sweat the Details. I'm here with Jim and Keith, and we're going to talk a little bit about Zillow today. We were um, looking back on the last year, and uh, amazingly enough, we've been we've been doing this podcast for over a year, and one of our initial episodes that we, uh, one of the topics we addressed was about Zillow and was about their CSAT scores. And interestingly enough, uh, Jim got an email the other day um, about it. So, uh, Jim, what did it say? Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I, I'm, I have not been a paying well, I guess that's redundant. A paying re- premier agent for well over a year, uh, but they still are very good at tracking me down and trying to get me to be a paying premier agent. But I got an email the other day that said, uh, we're, um, with our recent changes to our platform, we're looking to partner with reputable agents or reputable teams only moving forward. We are, part- we are parting ways with current premier agents who have not scored high enough on our CSAT scores, which I think is really interesting. I, mean, I think it's something that as a reasonably productive agent – the fact that they are limiting it to only, you know, quote unquote, good agents, I think is a good thing. As a consumer, I think it's a great thing that they're going to have only. If you take the presumption that productive agent is a is a is a good and you know, ethical and and um, you know good agent, I think that's a good thing as well. But well, it's, it's a hell of a shift. It is, and it's not a surprise, right? We, we talked about this. I think it was November two thousand eighteen when they yeah. came out with this announcement, and the announcement at that point was we're going to start tracking these customer satisfaction scores, CSAT is what they see, SAT scores. So they're going to start tracking it. And clearly over the last year they have, uh, right. and now they're starting to implement it. So, um, you know, kudos for them. I mean, I think they're taking a stand uh, on it and it's been an issue for them for a while that I know I've had conversations with folks that work for Zillow that they have issues with response rates. I think that the number is what of paying, of, of agents that pay for leads Fifty um, percent of those leads are responded to, by, which is ins- by which is insane. Which that is I would that you spend money and do you not don't do anything with it. To not right. to be fair, a lot of the when I was a paying member, a lot of the leads were junk. They would come in and they were horrible leads. I responded to them all. Right, and well, and Zillow has responded to that fact by doing a better job of of upping their level mm-hmm. of of vetting the the leads before the you know the agents actually receive them. But you know, you think about similar places where. You know, just to, to kind of go in two, two different sides, but Zillow choosing to give their high CSAT scores positions to the best agents. Um, you know, if you're a restaurant, you're absolutely going to pick your best waiters and waitresses to work the, the high volume shifts, right? Where, where the money can be earned, where your satisfaction can be most affecting the, the client experience, you provide the best shifts to the best people. So there's really nothing different about this except for the fact that for so many years, this was simply a pay to play environment. And now they're, they're saying there's real value in what we're doing and we want to provide the value to the client. We want to make sure that our, our, the end user satisfaction is, is highest and that's going to be through the best agents. Well, they're doing what we've said for years. I mean, I think that, you know, if they're, if they're looking at a million realtors and there are 2.3 agents and agents in the country, 2.3 million or whatever it is. And they're saying, instead of going for 2.3 million or 1.4 realtors or whatever, we want to go for 120,000 good agents. I is think it that they're good increasing. Or is, it, is it paying, right? Is it good? It's agent? profitable. 
Well, so here's the question going back to your restaurant analogy. Let's say in the restaurant analogy that the waiters and waitresses had to pay for those slots, that they it was a bid system, that they had to pay for those slots. And I'm, a, I'm an amazing sure. professional waiter, and I've done this for 10 years, and I, you know, I'm, I'm amazing. But some new waiter comes in, and you know, I'm, I'm paying 100 bucks to, for a shift, and some new waiter comes in and says, I'll pay 250 bucks for that That's, shift. Well, I think there's the, the quick side of that is there's no problem with, an, with a waiter who wants to pay double for the access to the shift. The question is, can they still turn the same number of tables? Can they still have the same repeat business? And will they continue to still provide value back to the restaurant? Right. So I, I think there is something that Zilla is looking at in terms of what's the long-term profitability, what's the net promoter score that our clients are going to be giving Zillow as an organization and their willingness to return to the website year after year to continue looking. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, there, yes, there is that immediate, the advertising dollar, but there's also the long-term brand value dollar. And that's, I think the CSAT score speaks more to the long-term brand value than it does to the willingness to play. So for for years now, we've had this slider on the Zillow, you know, for those who don't know, an advertiser on Zillow for years, a, a preferred agent, has had the ability to change their their bidding and see how many leads they're going to be able to pick up. And they can see who the next three agents are within the within the market and be able to compete, if you will, for those advertising dollars. That's maximizing the actual advertising dollar to Zillow. But it doesn't maximize the long-term value from the client perspective. And I think this shift is absolutely an attempt to to move in that direction of long-term client satisfaction. They're aiming to increase the quality of what they offer. It's yeah. a net promoter score yeah. monitor. But I mean, I, my question on the CSAT is that, yes, they have a way to, to measure responsiveness, productivity, et cetera. But is it a, how, how if, if at all, do they measure competence? That's you know. after the, that's after the, the, the questions, I think from what I understand from what we learned a year ago was that the survey would go to the, I'll call it a lead for lack of a better term. The survey would go to the lead. Did this person respond to you? And then after the, after the transaction, if the transaction happened, then, right. then there's a review at that point in time. So I think they're actually tracking it through the transaction of like so, how quickly do they respond and so let me, oh, let me ask which you a question. Great. I mean, it's great that they're doing that. I mean, think you want you want to track your product mm-hmm. throughout the entire life cycle. So the, the question I would ask though is, are consumers in general qualified to identify the competence of, of agents? No. Or are they only identi- uh, only able to identify responsiveness and just customer? No, I mean, and I've said this for a long time. That most consumers are not qualified to rate the competence of the representation they receive. Well, they're doing it in a vacuum. They're doing it in a vacuum. They've never they've never done it before. You know, it's you know. I think that it's something that. So, how would Zillow rate confidence? I mean, how, how are you? I mean, I mean, they can rate satisfaction. Well, yes, they can. you know, part of it. We, I think, I Jim, I agree with you. We're generalizing a little bit here. We we had a, a speaker in recently to come to talk to Nest, who was given an example of a um, a Disney executive who had bought and sold eleven houses, and that person had never had an agent. I find, I find this so hard to believe. Well, the, 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 not one of those 11 agents followed up with them after closing. That's a whole different story. But right. that person who's gone through 11 real estate transactions, you know, they're, they're probably qualified, you know, they're fairly adept, yeah. qualified uh, to, to review, um, an agent's performance, I would think. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, so, context. so, so, all right. So I will step back from my bold no and say, probably most are not qualified. Because it's something where the you know if you don't do this every day you don't know if you're negotiating the home inspection properly Correct. or you're not negotiating the credits and you're not you know making the offer you know based on what the the actual comps are 
So I, I think it, it's for most people who don't do 11 transactions in 20 years, most people don't, they don't know if they're getting screwed. You know, they don't know whether they should have a lead-based paint test done or radon or septic. You know, they don't know the nuances of, of that transaction, how to select the right team. Right. I mean, I think if you're, if you're selecting the, you know, Zillow with their, you know, life cycle, life cycle end-to-end transaction, if you select the Zillow team, Zillow thinks that that attorney title, like that whole product package is the best, but does the consumer know and trust that? Right. It's right. Not- well, and, and that speaks, you know, if we can move this, this morning, um, in New York, there was a class action lawsuit filed against Zillow for antitrust behavior right. around this this premier agent, and, and we haven't had enough time to really get into the meat of exactly what they're going after. But in in the basic sign is that what the attorneys are saying is that because the premier agents are buying access to the clients, they're putting them into a dual agency um, position. Which I I have to say I'm not really sure I understand exactly how that point goes because the premier agents are literally buying positions where they are not the listing agent. So it it moves them away. If anything, it moves them away from being dual yeah. agents. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure where this goes in terms of, of the lawsuit. But if lawsuit. you're the listing agent, you're the you're the top lead, top identified person yes. on that. Should be. You should be. I mean, if you're paying enough money, you should be. You know, so if, if the consumer contacts that listing and listing agent, then if they don't know any better, they may be, I won't say roped into, but they will find themselves in a single agent dual dual agency situation without knowing it without knowing it right you know i think that could be part of what they're talking about and i think it's something that you know agency and, and representation are, are critical parts of what we do and i think that the the this the zillow with their premier agent thing where the listing agent is the one who's you know being the source and it could trans i'm going to make a word up transactionalize the process where it's not as much representation as much as just selling a product right which is a trend, right? I mean, it's a it's a big trend, and not not just in real estate, but in a lot of industries. And we've seen this, look, we're kind of kind of zeroing in on Zillow in this conversation um, here. Zillow has kind of morphed and evolved, kind of a similar way that Netflix has morphed and evolved over the past ten years. That that they were a portal to start with, and then they're a media company, which is where this premier agent kind of selling ads and things like that. Um, started as the portal, and then we shifted into a media media company, and now they're talking about how they were a real estate transaction company with um, Dot Loop and Zillow offers and Zillow closing mm-hmm. services and Zillow home loans and you know all these other. No, the vertical that, integrations getting right. It, they're really putting it in place. So they want to take this transaction and kind of own the transaction from start to finish, and and uh, this is something that we talked about with our with our agents at at our summit. Um, uh, you know, this past year. Um, and so the question is, how does this premier agent, how does this premier agent uh, new approach play into the fact that Zillow is trying to own that transaction? And I think that, look, it's a lot, as we all know, the, the fewer people, the fewer people that are part of a real estate transaction, the easier it is to control that transaction. Right. So if Absolutely. you have 2.3 million real estate agents that you're dealing with on a regular basis and kind of using them to funnel people into your, to kind of this end to end transaction. That's hard. Not to say that 120,000, if that's the number, a hundred thousand or 50,000 is not hard, but it's, it's, it's a lot it's, more efficient to deal with a hundred thousand than it is to a know, lot more efficient. Million. And you can, you know, you can then train people and you can do this. And you, I mean, they, they do this, right? Zillow yeah. has conferences for just a specific group of people. And so if Zillow had a conference 
that they invited 1.2 million realtors or 2.3 million real estate agents, whatever the number is, right? That's that's impossible, right? It's right. just too generalized. But if you have a conference that you invite 50,000 people to, you know, 50,000 people aren't going to show up, but those that more of it, more of that curated group of folks that you can really kind of build that, you know, so I'm going to build this- that. I'm going to take this in a slightly different tangent. You know, so Zillow's targeting that, that upper echelon of agents. They're looking for the best of the best, which is, you know, I think that that's what a lot of organizations want to do. Sure. They want to focus on that. Where does that leave NAR? I mean, if NAR is going to be the one focusing on the 1.2 or 1.4 million agents, you know, the Pareto principle is that 80-20, that, you know, 20% of them do most of the business. Where does that leave NAR? I mean, I think Zillow has become the voice of real estate for most consumers. Well, I think you know, the, one of the big discussions, and we've we've talked about it briefly, is the Rule Eight Point um, the new clear cooperation policy, and and part of that question is there's no doubt NAR is desperately seeking that thing that's going to allow them to be the voice again, and and to be a controlling factor. I and I don't I don't have any answer for you, Jim, in terms of of what's going on in the Chicago mindset right now because. Those guys are they. They have to be wondering what their relevance is a year and three years and five I mean, years. What is out. The, what is NAR's product? You know, Zillow is the voice of the consumer. is is the voice of and for the consumer. That's where the consumers go. Yeah, for and, and NAR has has tried to be the voice of the ethics of of the of the industry. I mean, can you come up with a better answer for? No, it? I can't. I can't. Right. But it's it's a toothless for the for broad based the the code of ethics is toothless. You know, at least from a perception point of view. So they don't have that. They, they sort of have ethics. I'll give them that. They have sort of have lobbying. They do well, have really good. They economists. do have very good lobbying. They're and great the, economists. Economists are, are fantastic. But the Zillow's been doing lobbying. Zillow's got their own DC crew who are who are doing their thing. I mean that that is a, a competition. I think is really interesting. They've got a, their economists are, are top notch. Their yeah, their too. economists are top notch, and their economists are viewed more importantly than the NAR. They're viewed as being more unbiased right. than than Lawrence Yoon and others. I mean, and nothing against Lawrence Yoon. I've heard him speak many times and I love listening to him. And we've had we've had NAR economists on that I think the world of. But the reality is the general marketplace would rather hear it from an industry well, NAR's company a trade than, than from the trade group. They're a it's, trade it's group exactly for right. realtors. I mean and it's hard to straddle that line of we're the voice of consumers and for the and for the realtors. I mean I, I you know it's it's something they've done deftly for years. Yeah. But now they've got a, a legitimate well now they have had for years a legitimate, you know, another 800-pound gorilla they're competing with. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how NAR can shift that ginormous, you know, Titanic that they have and see if they if they can create some nimbleness to, to, to navigate this new path. Yeah. I mean, going along with that, state associations have also tried to implement rules a couple years ago. Virginia Association of Realtors implemented the rule that you had to put the office phone number on the sign. Yep. Because they were receiving. <laughs> well, but that was points. done through Depor. Was that, that done? Through yeah, it was, it was. That's an actual board regulation. Okay, but it's still. But it's, where did that start? It, I mean, I think it is, I, it's I bet within, that started with VAR. It would have started with the lobbying arm of VAR, is how it got right. to it. But it is a state regulation. But um, and the concept, just real quickly, the concept behind that was that they were receiving complaints that phone from consumers that phone calls weren't getting returned. So they said, "All right, we have to put the we, not just the agent phone number on, but the office phone number has to go on the sign." So. A little bit. I wonder, if, there, I wonder if there's been any research at all that actually shows if that's had any improvement to responses of phone that's calls a good at all. Was it just a knee-jerk reaction of, yeah. like, all right, check the box, we did this. And we, we also know those phone numbers have no size limit, and, and many I people are putting in jerk reaction. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and in many cases, that is. Yeah, I mean, you know, these cases of, of uh, kind of curating 
you know, kind of great agents and, you know, Keith's analogy of, of great uh, waiters and waitresses and Airbnb. We talked about this before. Airbnb has done the same thing with their super, super host, host program. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Anytime you you start an organization and you build that organization or a, a tribe of people, you all of a sudden realize, well, maybe there's some people that we don't want, or maybe there's some people right. that we want to recognize even more to kind of differentiate them from the from the rest. Well, of the, the, the amazing thing is, you know, you go back 20 plus years when eBay started, before they even rebranded themselves as eBay, um, when they were just auction, you know, auction web, they began a seller and a buyer uh, star rating system. This was they were the first out there. This is in the in the mid nineties uh, or late nineties. They began doing the star rating, and the reality is, number one, they totally underestimated what the value of that system was. They've now had sellers who've reached a million stars, and and they had no idea how to how to categorize these high ranks. But the important part was that became the basis of all crowdsourced referrals. It became the basis of all of the trust within the eBay community. It allowed that marketplace that people had no interaction with one another to, to do business. And then we've seen that through Uber now with our driver recommendations and ratings. We see it in our, in our Zillow recs. But you know, the interesting part is that where you have in, in eBay, the score is known before you enter into a transaction within, right. within the Uber world. You don't know the rating of the person that you're getting until it's already been assigned which to is, you. And now you're going to get in the car with a 3.1 guy, which is amazing. And you're canceling your transaction, <laughs> which is right? amazing. And you get charged for it and you get charged for canceling your transaction yeah. with a 3.1. That, yeah. Guy. That, that's the, that's the one part of Uber that I don't understand is, is if you it know, should I, say I here, can, your three drivers, this one's six minutes out. This one's nine minutes out. Would you rather wait three extra minutes for, for the guy with the 4.95? Yes. Yeah. I and I would. Yes. Uber's in a whole different world, too. So I think in California, they got a, uh, they entered a new policy or within Uber where the driver can choose to not go to certain areas. You know, which Ooh. I think is... Yeah. So it's... it's I mean, that's, that's, again, from our... Where, where are they doing that? In California. Well, we, we were in uh, an Uber in uh, Charleston a couple months ago. Remember this? We got in the Uber yeah. and uh, the... We, after conversations with our with our driver, we realized he doesn't know where he has to go right. until we get in the car. And he was telling us about he, one well, time he, he, picked yeah, he up, selects it. He picked up somebody. Yeah, he had about thirty minutes left in, in what he thought was going to be his day, and this person needed to go to Savannah, Georgia, and which is a <laughs> long ride from Charleston. And yeah. he ended up, you know, for for a variety of reasons, uh, took them there and back. But that's. Yeah. So, anyways, we're getting off a extended little bit of your day tangent here, but right. some interesting kind of nuances with uh, with tech. I mean, I look at it through the fair housing lens. I mean, it's you know that's that's a whole other thing that Uber is going to be dealing with. But I think that the the rating system is something that, again, it's you know, if you have a five star rating on Zillow, what does that mean to the consumer? I mean, you know, everybody has a five star rating on Zillow. I mean, I looked through some the other day, and every agent there has a five star rating. It's like, oh, they're all awesome. Yeah. All right, so let, all right, let, let's ask this then. If everybody has a five-star rating, and obviously there are some who do not have five stars, but 90% have five stars. Right. Because most people don't want to go out and knowingly trash someone's business that might really impact their livelihood. Oh, I disagree. They, I think people take great pleasure in, 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 make, I, in, in ruining someone's life. Then, people then take why great does pleasure. everybody have five-star ratings? Because the agents, for the most part, agents ask only the ones that they're the good okay. transactions. All right, so if that's the case, how is the CSAT score going to be identifying who's truly a five-star agent versus those who are are questionable. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that the Zillow, Zillow or, I have no idea, but what Zillow ought to do, I guess, is interview, you know, send that send that score out or that request to every single person. They are, right. You know, which that will, I mean, again, I, 
I think that will legitimize the the ratings to a certain degree. But also, people, I mean, I think that with any ratings, you're going to get the fives and the ones. You know, and most most agents are not going to ask the ones that was a terrible transaction. You know, because they don't want that on there. But I think that it's, the one thing about Zillow is it gives you, each review gives you the opportunity to respond. And so if you have a negative review and you go on and say, I understand what you're saying, but here's how you were wrong or whatever that, that example is. I think that that, I would say that most people who are shopping for an agent to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars are going to spend the time to look at what the, how the agent responded. Because if, you know, Keith, you, you trash me on Zillow and I say, I hate you, you're stupid. Most likely, the next person who interviews who looks at me is not going to is not going to come for me. But if you say you were bad and this is why I think you were bad, and I say okay, I understand it, I hear you, and then go through a three paragraph explanation, I'd say that at least my lens. Okay, so you buy a car today or any day, and the, one of the last things the sales guy does with you before you walk into the finance office is he shows you the customer service card that you're going to get in the mail, right? And he's already highlighted oh, yeah. all of the five star pieces, and he's showing you exactly how to respond to ensure that he keeps his job or that he continues on his bonus plan or whatever the, the piece is. So when do we as realtors start pulling out the Zillow card and start showing them that we want five stars on everything and start talking about how their feedback is impacting our, our business? I mean, is that, is that where this is going? Are we going to become the, yeah, say, are we I mean, going to become the so. car sales guy? I think so. I mean, I think it's, it's something that, I mean, again, for me, I, I'm not going to do that, you know, because I think that I, I like to ask people at the end, but I think that, you know, Asking throughout the transaction is is a productive use of your time to get better at how you practice your craft. But I think that a lot of agents who are in this realm are going to be saying, great, I know we just signed a contract. Remember, you know, I need a five-star on Zillow. Right. And they're going to start talking that up. But I think that, that to another question, should agents now who are productive and competent and good, or is this going to put them in a position of having to be on Zillow? I mean, if you know, are they going to have to be a premier agent on Zillow? You know, I think that's Zillow's dream. That's right? Zillow's dream. Zillow's dream is they want to be the right. Everybody wants to be the platform, right? And uh, I'm not necessarily People. sure if there's going to be one platform. And another thing, does this highlight the value of us? You know, selfishly from our perspective, does it highlight the value of a, of a reasonably small boutique type brokerage to build local brand? such a degree where you have ownership of that market where Zillow is secondary. Well, right. I mean, I think this is the one thing that, that, uh, that resonates with us is that we've been doing this in, since day one, right? Since right. day one, it's at Nest. We want, we want what we, what we think is the best of the best agents that provide amazing customer service and right. We don't bat a thousand, but when, when we don't, you know, when we don't knock it out of the park, we'll have conversations with agents and agents, Hey, just know that. But I think we've done an amazing job kind of as a brand as we've grown across markets is bringing in the right leadership and bringing the right agents that care about the customer experience. And it it, 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 it goes in parallel with what Zillow is doing. So for me, I mean, look, I don't need any uh, uh, any pats on the back for, for what we're doing because I feel like we're doing it the right way. But it's also nice to see that these other larger organizations are starting to go down the same path that we've been going down since 2008. So Zillow's learning from Nest. Is Zillow's what I just learning heard. from Nest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 